The driving force behind Literacy Planet is motivating students to discover the joy of learning through the power of great storytelling and gamified learning experiences. Just as the world's most popular films and games are driven by compelling narratives, Literacy Planet's Storyverse immerses readers in a captivating world of fun, fantasy and wonder. This is where learning becomes meaningful and memorable, inspiring children to connect with their own writing in imaginative and creative ways. Well, Tom, welcome to the Beyond Words World Literacy Podcast. I'm so happy to talk to you because I think other than a wonderful name that you have for your brand, I think it's a really interesting concept. And you have 247,000 students using it in 900 schools in 80 countries. That's pretty impressive. Talk to me about how this came to be and where this this um, concept emerged from. Sure, sure. Look, thanks for your question, Deb. I can't take the credit for starting this business. Um, this is a brainchild of Shane and started a business 10, 12 years ago. And it was um, really, I mean, the whole drive was very much a, a personal drive that the, the way children were learning literacy could be done so much better and, may, and much more equitable and accessible. Until all of those um, children who, who may not be in traditional schools, may not have access to um, great teachers, may not have access to great kids, still didn't want to be disadvantaged. But that was where the drive started from, and I think the, the key was to put the classic literacy curriculum and make it a right level, but make it fun. Make it fun. And kids love fun, yeah. I mean, they need fun. They love fun, and it engages them. And that's what I love about this is that it's because literacy sometimes feels very daunting to young people who haven't had access to it. It's, it's you know, it's a little scary. So what you should... Yeah, you, you, you've this this concept demystifies a little bit and makes it enjoyable. Absolutely. You see, you, you take the scaffolding of um, of literacy, and it does look scary. Right? It's strand and phonics and grammar of punctuation and spelling. When you and then you put a big curriculum together, and but they're all laddered, and it does look overwhelming. So how do I take that structure and that discipline? They wrap it into something that kids love particularly kids aged 4 to 14. And kids aged 4 to 14 and their attention span, I think we all know what that's like. That's not getting any better. Yeah. And you know, we're also competing a lot more now. Right? Those 4 to 14-year-olds, as you know, um, have got a lot of demand on their attention, devices and, and it's short and it's colourful and it's narrated. And if you can't capture their attention and their imagination – you're going to struggle to really help develop underlying skills. So that's where we try and strike that balance of being fun and being engaging, but also delivering outcomes against national people. That's the balance. I think that's interesting what you just said, the notion of competing. Mm-hmm. How do you do that? Yeah, well, I think there's a couple of different ways, but you've got to keep up with the, things that, the other things that they're doing. The so kids four or fourteen, and they're playing games online. They're socialising online. They're using TikTok. They're using um, a variety of different technologies to collaborate with people to learn. And if you don't keep up with that, and the experience doesn't keep up with that, then you lose the competition. You lose their attention because it's so easy to flick to something else. 
Absolutely. I mean, I know I've got children myself, much older now, but I know what you're talking about. It's a very, it's a really interesting space because maybe 20 years ago that wasn't a challenge for literacy, but now it's become completely um, embedded in our cultural and the way that we operate. All the schools, the kids, they all have their phones, they have access to everything. Mm. You know, for us in the game, it's a moving type. And so it's, um, it gets the experiences and, and the, even if you talk about the UI and the UX and the design and that, and that customer centricity of the imagery that's used, um, even that is progressing day by day by day by day. And you have pretty large Silicon Valley-based organizations who are investing billions of dollars into software. That's what kids are using. Mm. And if that is with your experience that you're providing is not with that, you're going to lose them really quickly. Now, the extreme case of that is kids get bored at school. They're just bored. Things don't happen fast enough, not engaging enough, there's no narrative, there's no gamification. I'm bored and they check out. If you build software that looks old, looks ugly, it doesn't have gamification, and you're trying to get a child who's yeah, 10 years of age to engage with it, when they've got all this shiny stuff happening out here, I reckon you're going to be pushing it pretty hard, um, particularly if it even smells like it's got more structure behind it. With pushing that. Yeah, they're just going to repel that because it's it looks too scary, daunting, and serious, and they don't want to uh, look like a teacher. Uh, they they want to get don't want to be taught or structured in that way. Exactly, and you can't. And you also can't design something that you and I would like to use necessarily, because we're not the type of it. So we, if we designed it for us, it wouldn't be cool and it wouldn't be engaging for kids. So the key is how do you put. Four to fourteen-year-olds lens on, and design and build environments and characters and narration and leaderboards and interactions, and even the the way that you engage with the the, the system and the way that you slide things and move things. It's all going to be conducive to a child, but also not just a child, any child. So depending on whether they're colorblind or whether they've got any kind of other auditory issues or whether whatever it might be, trying to make it so it's equitable and fair, mm. no matter what the child is and where they are, um, so they can access it. And even depending on, you know, what device they use. Because mm. they don't all have, yeah, they don't all have access to certain things. So that's also, so there's also issues of economic status and whether they've got access to certain things and how you can... Reach them and give them opportunity, no matter what their economic position. Absolutely. So in the game, we talk about being accessible, right? Which essentially any child should be able to use it, but also agnostic, agnostic to any browser, any device. Right? So they basically, in all these terms that we work with, is just trying to make it fit. So there's no reason why uh, a child ends living in poverty in the middle of Delhi or either in rural uh, China, shouldn't be able to have the same opportunity to learn literacy as uh, a a high-class student in New York. In a private school, yeah. 
Blackford, there's no reason why there should be a difference in our view. So we try and make it um, the opportunity available and equitable to anyone in Manawatu. So the universality of what you're offering is is sort of really the linchpin in that you make it so that it is accessible across the globe to all different types of, of children. Do you find that so so from a logistics perspective, can you just take me through, walk us through the design concepts? Where do they come from? How do you do you use existing curriculums as a base yeah. for the literature? Yeah, for the story verse? Or yeah. I love the term too, story verse. It's just wonderful. It's such a it's really, it's got a sense as if you're sort of maybe watching a Disney movie, but actually not. So I sort of like the. <laughs> well, I was going to get all, all credit goes to the creative team, the education team. They, uh, they, they need to think about ways to present, you know, what is really the way the information is presented and communicated. It's really shits in their world. So, um, yeah, they've done certainly take the credit for that. But as far as your question goes, um, you know, and there's, there's one thing I'm really excited about. I mean, it, it, the business started here in the Gold Coast in Australia and, um, and it could have been designed with a lens of let's just serve the Australian market. could have been designed that way. would have been simpler. Mm. But, again, full credit to teams before me where their aspirations were much larger. And also their design principles were much larger than that. Their intent was equitable globally. So what that means then is that you need to be able to think about design in such a way that if you're in the US, you have a different curriculum or curriculum at all. Mm. You're in the UK, you have a different curriculum. If you're in international schools in Singapore, again, depending, you may have a US, you may have a UK, you may have a blend. So the first thing is it's an really map all the curriculum around the world that really addresses the main education systems that children will be required to apply. Sorry, sorry. Is, that, is that, just to understand that, so does that mean they are often universal concepts that you can present or do you need to tap each one? Tap each one. So oh, you have your core, yeah, core piece and there's core elements, but then you have to map it to curriculum structures which relate to the country in which we're in. And some countries, they even have different ones by state. Like in the US, it's different by some of the states are different, right? So, so the, one of the big jobs is to say, want to break literacy down into little pieces and then map those little pieces to the curriculum. Because a year two in the US will, will have different ways of talking about literacy and structuring it than a year two in the UK. Very, it's extraordinarily um, bold and innovative because that must be a, quite a challenge. Just even without the animation, without the all the layering of technology, the notion, like just getting that that correct. So, do you work with the local, with the governments, or do you work with private? How does that? Yeah, yeah. So there's a couple of these because not just getting correct once; it's every piece of new content needs to be mapped. Oh, that's huge. New, new activity. So it's a periodic process. So we work with independent bodies, and you know, it's not this is an inexpensive thing to do. We mm-hmm. work with organisations, depending on the country, we provide independent audits and reviews to make sure that we're mapping appropriately, and that when someone completes a mission or an activity or a task in our platform, and it gives them a level of proficiency rating, 
that lines up and corresponds to that proficiency rating in the national curriculum. So we can say hand on heart that if you have done this and you've and you've successfully completed X, you will be proficient in that element of the curriculum that you will be assessed against when we do like in Australia we're doing that plan. There's no plans all around the world. Just cool different things um, that you'll be aligned to your national diagnostic. So again, not an insignificant piece of word, but the key there too is to make that invisible. Kids don't want to see that. No, they don't. And in fact, you know, just say the word NAPLAN, a lot of them run a mile. They, okay. you know, I mean, even though I know that's not what it is, is it? but conceptually, I know it, that's what you're saying. They had fun, but at the end of the day, they're, they're being their, assessed. Their class and their school, and has got to be going up on the national park. And so, in terms of the logistics of that, two questions: How is that funded? Because that must be very expensive to run, and, and I'm assuming that there's private and government support. Yep. If that's correct, yeah. Yeah. So we we actually fund it ourselves, so we pay for that. Um, that service of the individual organisations that do the audits, it's pretty a ticket to play is you have to have that. Right. The country has to have that. Yeah, and then as a product of rural, we have to have that endorsement because schools won't waste their time and teachers won't waste their time or their money provide the dozens of live with the outcomes. And they've got limited budgets, yeah, very limited. Absolutely. And time. The main, the main problem with school and teachers is time. Mm. They, they they can't waste time with products that don't have demonstrable outcomes that can be proven against the curriculum in which that teacher and that school is being assessed. They just don't have time. If it's a, if it's considered a game that doesn't have those outcomes, don't want to know about it. I want I want start off. Mm. This is the job I need to do. How can your platform help me do it at the same time? How can we have it so that kids love it, so they ask for it, so I'm not having to force them to use it? So getting it into the schools in the first place, all the countries let alone, I'm assuming it started in Australia initially, is that correct? Yeah, yeah it's been a lot of shoe leather really to start with. I mean, it's start the, I mean, the way that this is changing over time, but and how it started was literally door to door, door to school, teacher to teacher. Check it out. What do you think? Have a trial. Have a demo. See how it works. If you're happy with it, um, you know, then we'll try and negotiate something commercial that makes sense so that we can pay for the content, we can pay for things we have to pay for. That's how it worked. And it literally started close to where the business started because it was easier to walk down the road. Into Queensland, Gold Coast, Queensland, and then some of those teachers would go overseas. So the world would go out overseas, or we'd do some marketing overseas. Not many in the Google ad or something. Um, And the people started searching for it because, I mean, the need is massive. Massive. I mean, just the statistics are just quite alarming and overwhelming and the problem is so big and one of the things I was reading about is how critical collaborative connectivity is to dealing with this literacy issue that is that countries and people working universally it's critical to really try and maximize outcomes 
because Absolutely. it's just so monolithic that people can't tackle it Absolutely. like a, without support. So logistically, can I just understand something? So let's say, and I, I love that expression, you know, the way you describe it goes out door to door and it just built organically, but mm. clearly moving into new countries took on a new yeah. um, challenge, I have no doubt. So once you had credibility here and you got support, then moving into other countries, how difficult was that? And was it like you give them a prototype and does it dovetail with their existing curriculum? Yeah. Yeah, good question. So, yeah, so the expanding um, internationally for an Australian ed tech company is in these, right? It's not where we are a long way away and we're on an island and it's um, where we're from a small population and we're not seeing necessarily in the boat was Dallas, the harbour of EdTech activity. So working with, you know, Austrade and various partners and, again, just trying anything possible to get the word out because we know that the needs everywhere, right? I think, you know, the World Literacy Foundation is saying that 750 million people yeah. are still illiterate, right? It's a massive number. Massive. Um, so we know that to, to have a meaningful impact, um, we've got to get outside of Australia. Um, there's 10,000 schools in Australia. For us, you know, we're, we know there's 200,000 schools in the US and the UK. Right? So, so it's the scale is so much bigger. So really you're focusing in on, on, at the moment, we are focusing on those two um, geographies, the US and the UK. Mm-hmm. How can we provide what we do and we Growing and build Australia and got credibility on how can we now export that effectively? Um, by one, making sure it absolutely aligns to the curriculum, it's tech with that. Uh-huh. Then making sure it's all the audio and the language is all aligned. You know, you've got to have the right accents and you've got to have Zs and mm-hmm. the S's. Full stops. Yeah, the Zs and the S's. Oh, that used to, yeah. <laughs> we all about all the Yeah. Yeah. that sorted, right? And then there's a whole lot. Um, technical stuff behind the scenes around the security standards. Then children, you got to be really careful about security. There's there's hosting services when you host the data and how to do that. Again, there's a heap of stuff. So we're just trying to do what we can to grow that. And I think at the moment now, um, you know, about forty five percent of our revenue comes outside Australia and down. That's incredible! What an extraordinary story. And and so so, do you think the success has been that the alignment of technology, obviously online, facilitates a lot of growth because you, you know that's just for you in that particular arena. It must be a huge bonus for your organisation. But also, do you think that the creatives in in your hub must be doing a good job of communicating to that that target group? Because yeah. they're getting the resonance, yeah? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think um, when we reflect on it, our, our whole brand on this sort of treat thing, where we say kids will love it, it's going to be really easy to use, and teachers will save time. I think the one that we've done the best on is the kids will love it. Well, that's the key, yeah. You know, that's, that's the key for us. I mean, then that's why it's growing. Probably the reason why it hasn't grown as you know as fast as we would like mm. is still have to make it easier to use. Mm. I mean that's as we said before, that's a moving target. You've got to keep 
adapting, particularly for teachers. You just got to keep evolving and making it simpler and simpler and more streamlined. And yeah, so that's that's sort of our path for getting better is to make it easier for teachers. While the world has experienced a shift since the pandemic broke out, now self-education has taken a stronger stand than ever. With remote learning and parents actively being school teachers' assistants, this has, however, enabled poor quality learning and reading. To fix the situation, Carl Walgren got the idea to build a new communication and reading application called Edsoma. Edsoma was designed to get children back in the reading culture and help them bond better with the authority figures in their lives. The app has been on the trajectory to become every family's favourite reading application with its numerous features and functionalities that encourage bonding while learning. One remarkable thing about Edsoma is that parents and guardians do not need to be physically present with their children to read with them. Instead, they can do the reading from any part of the world and still achieve the same. Talk to me about what you see, and clearly your mission is to find ways to ensure that everyone can read when they want, how they want. I think it's a very innovative idea. So talk to us about how that came to be. Yeah. So like I said, I moved to the United States about six years ago uh, after getting divorced. And I was uh, divorced with two kids. And then obviously the whole world went through a, a pandemic and the shutdown. And for me, that meant that I went a year and a half without seeing two of my kids that were located in Canada because of the border restrictions. Uh, and one night, my daughter, who was six at that time, asked me if I could read her a bedtime story. And uh, I felt like with it being 2020, that the technology had to exist for like, you know, story sharing, Zoom for kids kind of thing. And when I started looking for it, um, there was a platform that would allow me to connect. But what I realized is that I wasn't as strong at reading as I thought I was. And all of a sudden, mm-hmm. at this crucial time teaching your kids to read was so much more important because they weren't going to school. So um, I started looking for something that could do that and the technology just wasn't there. So after my own experiences, uh, I decided that I would build it out. Uh, I ended up selling a business um, to my other partners at that time. And we jumped into this two feet uh, about two years ago now. Well, I think it's a really moving story, actually, literally, because you're right. It's a very intimate thing, isn't it, to read to your kids. And no matter what your circumstances are, it's something that you connect with children. They learn a lot by having that quality time with that parent. And so the idea that, which I really find quite innovative, that you can read to your child wherever you are, as you point out, whether it's traveling or whether you've been forced by circumstance to live in another country, that which would have been very difficult too for you. That's a long time with the pandemic separating you for a year and a half. And there you have this great resource to encourage kids to say, you know, you can connect with dad, we can still read together. So tell me yeah, how that came. Was, yeah, that's really interesting. Super, um, some of the, like my fondest memories, I, I grew up a lot, spending a lot of time with my grandparents and Uh, I remember, you know, laying in bed and having my grandmother read to me. And that's like some of my most cherished moments. And and I just felt like we needed to like go back to the basics. I think the world's uh, taken a turn, you know, almost for the worst and and quality time isn't as important as it used to be. You know, we're all stuck. And I say this, that we're stuck to devices, even though we use a device. But I felt like 
we weren't going to get around being stuck to those devices. So how do we mm. put those quality moments back onto a device? And, um, you know, during this, what was going on with the world it just made sense to be able to tie people together through a video streaming platform uh, in a way that we could make lasting memories. And, you know, one of the big deciding factors for me were thinking about like families that were, or military families that, you know, go away and fight for your country, you know, how, how much more engaged with being away could you be knowing that you're still making an impact on the learning aspect of your child's life, even though you're, you know, halfway around the world um, in a situation that you'd rather not be in. Yeah, and doing something for our country and and for your country, it's very good point. I mean, I don't think we've ever really, in a way, the pandemic, as you mentioned, it sort of shifted everybody's viewpoint so that suddenly distance took on a whole new meaning. And I think what you're doing is you flipped that idea and that notion on its head and said, well, we're sort of faced with that reality anyway, whether it's even though the pandemic seems to have settled now, it actually brought to light some of these other times of distance, such as you mentioned with the military. And I also think what you've highlighted is the intimacy of literacy, which yeah. is actually critical. And it's something that you, you and I grew up similarly. I grew up, you know, it was always like, and my kids sit on my parents' knees and, you know, read read books and it's a time of sharing. So what sort of resonance, first of all, the logistics of creating this and making it a point of difference, How how did that come to be? So I, I don't have a technology background at all. So I can hardly, as you were experiencing with uh, Lauren, uh, I can hardly send an email. So um, <laughs> there was a major hurdle to climb in understanding what I was trying to build. But I've always been a person to like build the airplane as we're taking off the ground kind of thing. So um, I I fell in love with podcasts uh, because I wasn't a great reader. Um, and it just like all the podcasts that I continue to listen surrounding around entrepreneurship just kind of said, you know, surround yourself with people that are smarter than you and you're always going to be in good hands. So I just continue to try and do that while we were building this out. And we've, you know, I've been blessed with uh, a fellow by the name of Tom Reale, who was in publishing. I pitched the idea at, at him early on to see if we could even get content for our platform, because I felt like that was going to be our biggest roadblock. And he's like, oh, yeah, great idea, but it's not going to work. And uh, so I, I had like really smart people early on, you know, guide me through the journey. Uh, and then our mistakes became our like strongest moments. I, I hired a third party developing companies thinking that they could build it for me. And after a year, they came back and they're like, we just can't do this. So uh, not being a person that likes to give up very easily, I just decided that I'd hire my own developers, take off the restraints uh, due to contracts of like third party contracts and just put a room of creative people together and figure out how to do it. And that's ultimately how we've got to where we're at now. So the greatest challenge you saying was the technology, because in a sense, as you said, I mean, I love, obviously, I'm a podcast, you know, that's my thing. And I, I think you point out a very important um, fact, which is podcasts are a way for people who can't read to access information and to hear stories. So you've sort of taken that notion and made that very accessible. So can you just talk to me about one, what were the challenges? And two, how logistically, if somebody wants to use Edsoma, what does that involve? And how does that app work? Yeah, so it, we've we've gotten Edsoma to the point where it's fairly easy. You can go into your um, favorite 
app store and download it. Now we're in the iOS and Google Play Store. Um, and we can use it on any device. So as long as you have service or Wi-Fi, um, you can actually do a video streaming call with with your uh, reader of choice or your child or grandparent or whoever you're wanting to connect with. Um, depending on the model, students can connect with their other classmates. But uh, ultimately what it is, is it's a voice recognition software. So as you read out loud, the words will highlight green to give you that instant gratification of knowing that you're getting it right. And then as we track your voice, we identify patterns uh, with our technology to identify if you're starting to struggle. If you start to struggle, the word will break down into syllables. Uh, if you continue to struggle, you can select it, it'll enunciate the word, uh, and then we put those words into work buckets and our AI backend starts providing content surrounding those word structures uh, that you're having troubles with. So we're constantly providing content that uh, inspires kids to continue reading instead of content that intimidates them. Uh, being somebody that suffered with uh, literacy issues my whole life growing up, that was one of my biggest challenges as a kid. I understand uh, almost like the shame or the fear of of coming out and and telling somebody that you can't read or that you're not understanding uh, what the task is that you're trying to accomplish. So knowing that firsthand and actually diving into this brought those emotions back like very vividly that that was what I wanted to get away with or get away from. So we made sure that while while we were building this that we could give those kids those moments of strength back where they don't have to feel intimidated anymore. That's really powerful. And one of the things I really hear from you, which I think resonates and will resonate with our listeners, is the emotionality from the place that you come from. It's from the heart. There's a very strong sense of whether it's as a father feeling detached and distanced from their kids finding a way to connect or whether it's from your, uh, you know, empathy for the military and people who are travelling or, you know, removed from their families, or your own struggles with literacy in, in those early days and the shame that often un, inexplicably but understandably some people feel when they can't read. And when we look at the figures of 750 million illiterate people that we are aware of statistically through the World Literacy Foundation, that's a hell of a lot of people that are struggling. So it's ultimately what you're you're trying to target some of these issues. So talk to me on that, yeah. That, that number that you said was ultimately like one of the deciding factors. So like in America, there's 56 million American adults that suffer from literacy to the issue where they can't read a menu, a basic menu at a restaurant. So um, the more I started diving into those numbers, the thoughts of, you know, what are these kids doing at home during this time, which I don't like to refer back past tense to the pandemic, just because it was a crappy time in our, mm. our existence, I feel like, but those kids ultimately are around parents that suffer from these issues. Um, they're most likely um, in positions where the parents can't afford tutoring or extra services for them. So they just stay in that circle. You know what I mean? And we we, we went through the pandemic talking about equity and you know how to be able to provide equity, but I wanted a solution in literacy to be able to bring that to the forefront. So it was really important to us early on. And actually, because of our mission, I think all great doors seem to open. Uh, early on, we got to um, get involved with one of our now uh, owning partners, Shaquille O'Neal, 
uh, and his team. Uh, and it was really important to him to make sure that we can make a platform that would be useful to inner city communities that couldn't afford these extra resources and make it affordable so everybody would have a chance to use it, not just, you know, the, the more fortunate in a better financial position, but people that actually needed it the most. So, um, that's kind of what we focused on was building it affordable. You know, the reality, or at least in America, we did have our governments issue devices, tablets, computers mm. um, during that time to everybody that was going to, to, to school and they'd offered Wi-Fi to everybody who needed it. So it was just like that perfect timing to try and catch them up to speed. And we realized, you know, that literacy affected people more than just how I thought about it from the day to day. If you look at, you know, people that are uh, incarcerated, their literacy rates, you know, the majority of them read at a below a grade or grade two reading level. So uh, when you think Crazy. about you know, yeah. incarceration, and we've read some studies that if you can teach somebody to read while incarcerated, just two grade levels, increasing them two grade levels, they go from like an 87% chance of returning down to an 18% chance of returning. So just be extraordinary figures, aren't they? Yeah. Level, yeah. It, it's, it can make a very strong impact on how an economy functions, how parents can come back into the home. Just so much stuff is, is supported when you can read. Um, you know, even at just a grade four reading level. And and that also shows, I'm sure, the proportion of people who are incarcerated, how much that will have also impacted their journey. Like to that's yeah. why they often end up. I mean, they're ill-equipped to to cope with the world. I mean, even as you say, whether it's read a menu or read a street sign, or and we've talked about, or even a medis, medical bottle, like the basic mm-hmm. things and that like if you take it like one step further, you know, and I'm not promoting any criminal activities when I say this, but if you look at the vast majority of people, they're usually in there because they've done something wrong, trying to make a living of some sort. You know what I mean? They were trying to put food on the table or, you know, find a place to to, to stay mm, in, mm. In, in that nature. You know, these people are willing to take great risks just to feed themselves or their families. So if you could give them the tools to take those same risks in a legitimate field, the opportunities that they could bring, you know what I mean? Those people are some of the best, you know, for lack of better words, entrepreneurs there is. And if we could just make it around a good movement, you know, they could really make an impact, I believe. Well, you know, I talk about um, the literacy revolution, which I think has become quite a movement. Sure. You mentioned Shaquille O'Neal. Talk to me. I know he and also LeBron James, they're, they're all very, very active in this area, doing some extraordinary work. How did you get Shaquille on board and what sort of, uh, what have you learned from him? Shaquille's like, you know, obviously larger in life and not just his presence, but in in his, you know, person as well. The guy um has a heart bigger than himself i'm sure but we literally my vp of sales uh was a huge basketball fan and uh, made a comment that if anybody could help us get to the people that needed this most it would be shaquille and all of a sudden on linkedin you know our devices that listen to us um popped up shaquille's agent and i was like what the hell i'll just send him a cold email uh, see, see, you know, where that takes us. And Perry said, you know, uh, this is interesting. I'd love to see if it can actually work. Um, so I flew out and met with Shaquille's agent, Perry. Um, and he's like, wow, this is amazing. Uh, 
I want you to come back and and show it to Shaquille. So, you know, when I met with Shaquille, I'm five foot eight. I'm very much smaller than Shaquille. When I <laughs> That's quite a lot smaller. <laughs> the device to to test it out, it dawned on me that we had never done any testing with somebody as deep a voice as what he had. And because he's so much taller than me, he was holding the device over my head. So I couldn't even see if it was working, but by the, you know, sheer look on his face um, of excitement, we realized that it was working and he just said, how can I help? Um, you know, so they've been a great team to work with. They're very helpful. They, you know, have a huge network, obviously from, you know, Shaquille playing basketball, but he's a hell of a business person as well. You know what I mean? People don't realize the amount of businesses that he actually owns and his foundation, you know, that supports groups like the boys and girls clubs. And, um, he's just got a really big heart and everybody involved with his team comes from the right place. So some of the updates are the favorite updates that we like giving, especially when we get to call Shaquille's offices, you know, getting involved with the World Literacy Task Force and the approval of our platform as a preferred product to help stomp out literacy, e-literacy around the world. You know, it, it aligns with, you know, Shaquille's mission and quite a few of the other celebrities that we're working with. And they just love hearing that result or that, you know, that we're getting uh, identified by great um, platforms like the World Literacy Foundation. I mean, for you, it's an extraordinary thing that you cold called him. And it shows also, you know, that a passion for a mission, yours, and I suppose his, when they align, look what you can do. And I suppose that's something that you should be very proud of because it's not easy to do that. And it's also hard to make and you mentioned there were challenges along the way, but when you have somebody come into your corner and go, you know what, I get this. How did that yeah. feel for you? Validated. It, it's you know? huge. You know, um, it, it's about persistence uh, and not being scared to to ask. You know, the worst thing you can hear is no. I, I'm, I'm going to say it in two parts. The worst thing you can hear is no. Um, ultimately, the worst thing you can hear is nothing back in return because it motivates you to ask again. And, but when you get the word no, you know, at least to move on. Um, with Shaquille, it, it just showed me that, it's the right time. People care about this now. It's on the forefront. Uh, we all can identify that there's parts of education that are old and broken, and it's time for a change. The technology is at a point now where we can make that impact. We can help give time back to teachers who are, you know, hugely underpaid um, and struggling. So we can allow them, yeah. yeah, we can allow them more resources. And if we just, you know, get strategic with our partnerships and, and creative with the opportunities that we can provide a value back because kids are ultimately our future right and if you look at during the pandemic those kids lost two of the most important years of their life um, statistically that shows that if you can't read at par by grade three you're never going to catch up so um, that's quite terrifying lost first wow. and second grade they've got a long steep hill to climb and we just wanted to give them the best shot we can. And there's great people getting involved in the literacy mission now, especially across the United States, for sure. With almost a million beneficiaries in 17 states of India, the Tata Adult Literacy Program is truly transformative. 
The Adult Literacy Program was set up to help the Government of India improve adult literacy rates using the computer-based functional literacy solution. Using the CBFL model, non-literate adult learners can achieve functional literacy, like reading, writing and arithmetic, within 50 hours over a period of three months, which is about a sixth of the time demanded by conventional learning methods. How, is, how have you emotionally found this journey? And, and it's been two years you've worked there, yeah? Yeah. Between 2009 to 11, I taught as a primary school teacher. But being a teacher of these students, I realized that how their families uh, are ill-equipped. And mm. uh, the focus is the academic journey or, or rather holistic well-being, holistic growth uh, of that kid. But uh, the time that he's spending in the classroom is limited, maybe, say, five to six hours a day, uh, about 150, 200, 180 days a year. So it's, it's like, you know, less than 30 percent, about 30 to 40 percent time that he's spending in the school or even mm-hmm. less, like if you consider 24 hours and I do calculation for 12 hours. Right. Most of the time that he's spending is in his community. And with, with his family, particularly during the formative time until mm. the kid is going through the primary schooling, right? Yeah. And that's where I realized that, like, while my focus was absolutely in the classroom, which ought to be, if I am a teacher, that's where I should pour my energy in. But when I would see the spectrum of where the kids are coming from, what is the education level background of their parents, particularly of all the other socio-cultural, economic aspects Mm. that these all kids are coming from but when I saw this uh, relational aspect of the education of their parents or literacy level of their parents and their growth vis-a-vis in the classroom while the potential that they have that as a teacher I would have a close eye on all the 39 40 kids that I had so Mm. I could real relate that if we are to accelerate their academic journey and holistic well-being as well it is paramount that in the back end, how do we serve their parents, particularly mothers, again, as I shared. That yes, yes. As well, when in a woman, you, since you asked the emotional aspect, so there has, like in last about a decade or more, interacting with thousands of women, I heard so many stories wherein, you know, these women would work hard uh, and would earn about three, two to three dollars a day so that they can have bread and butter. And uh, when there is a parent-teacher meeting uh, in the school and this kid whom she is putting in through the education would come home and tell that, mom, there is a parent-teacher meeting, but I don't want you to be there in my classroom because you would put a thumbprint and I would be ashamed. Wow, that's it so amazing. It shattered my heart. Yeah. That how come this, you know, um, this mother who is putting everything that she has so that this kid can go to the best of the school and the mm. kid is not in a way, I would not say that the kid is not right or wrong, but he's listening from the society and comparing that, hey, how my friends would think or feel when you would be knowledge or for that matter, the husband who mm. would say, despite she is the one who is taking care of all the household chores that, hey, you are of no use because you don't know how to read. Oh, you can't go independently to the bus. You don't know what your right is. You don't know, uh, you know, what what medicine to get. What is the exp- simple, basic aspects? But that shatters the respect of that woman. 
Yes, of course it would. And I mean, the other thing is that, as you say, I mean, there is just, it's just an all pervasive, uh, it filters through the whole family. I mean, a child then, you know, how does he respect, he might respect his mother is doing certain things, but then the issue of shame and, and, and how do we, so is there a way that the school system or the way that you are actually, you've got access to these children, is there a way to filter it back into the family or is it, too challenging to try and do that through the school system or you know what 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 can be done or is it just focusing on getting these kids as literate as possible and that's the priority yeah so there are two problem pieces here and i want to make it very clear again one is the student the child right and uh, behind the child is the mother or the father mother particularly or mm-hmm. the whole ecosystem who is at his home now, I was teaching in slums, right? Uh, and slums are the places where usually uh, people uh, who would people would migrate from different parts of the country, and those who are daring or courageous would come out largely, right? It's not like uh, not everyone would come. But when I go back and see in these villages or the uh, the parts where these parents are coming from. There, the literacy rate is a huge challenge, right? So the teaching experience that I had was an eye-opener for me to see how this is really an important problem statement. And gratefully, Tata Consultancy Services of all the other corporates in the country were addressing it. And when I learned about that solution, I felt that, hey, let me try it. And first thing that I did when I joined back TCS in Central India, our Lucknow office, there we had these uh, housekeeping staff and uh, they had been to school, but it been, it's been quite some time, grade two, three level, and they've forgotten almost everything. And there was this male here, uh, this person, we, we empowered him with literacy and he shared that post-literacy when I went back. So pre-literacy, pre-being neoliterate, when I would go yes. to my hometown, which is again from Lucknow, Central India to 150 kilometers. My When my daughter would come to me and she would ask for help that, hey, Papa, would you please help me in reading me or solving this problem or you know, unlocking what my teacher is asking me to do? And because I don't know, I would first avoid her. But she would come back because she's my daughter. <laughs> and yeah, uh, two, three times she would come to, to hide my own shame, I would shoo her away. Teaching in the slums, and I come came back to the corporate, joining corporate social responsibility yeah. team, and knowing that we have a solution, first I need to try it firsthand. Yes, so I understand. So that's where, in my own vicinity, where I was working, I realized there are non-literate male as well. They come yes. from again further distant places, far more deeper mm. parts of country India is a huge country and uh, right Massive. so there when I was I was interacting and we, we realized that few people are would require either refresher or absolute uh, literacy there uh, this story came to me that how this yes. person's life transformed once he became literate this daughter would come to him he it's not that he became master of everything it's like yeah you know, I understood yeah months program 55 hours of teaching learning through using you know uh, theory of cognition laws of perception and audiovisuals the multimedia and uh, pedagogical aspects are also being you know kept intact so that an ed- a person with 15 plus years of age group who has the basic knowledge of the language but doesn't know how to read and write 
can be mm. empowered with functional literacy, which comprises of reading, writing, and arithmetic. And that changed his life. Not that he became master, but he started interacting with her that it's okay. We have a problem. I know this bit, but let's go and ask someone. Let's explore together. That opened his own learning capabilities because this blot that, yes. hey, you are of no use because you don't know how to read and write and do basic arithmetic. Right. So he would not even attempt. So it liberated him. And and it also probably empowered him to feel confident. And that's a really good story. I was going to actually ask you that. And that's a very good example. Um, Do you think that so that's one anecdote and I'm sure there are many. And as you say, it's a very emotional thing to watch people, you know, so vulnerable when you know there's a solution that's actually quite simple. And, I mean, I've been looking at some of the research and actually it's incredible, as you just referred to, it doesn't take, I think you mentioned here I was reading that it's, you know, it can be 50 hours um, over a period of three months, which is about a sixth of the time demanded by conventional learning methods. But it's it's incredible that you could get what what I'm seeing is that what you're doing at Tata Services is you can actually get quite quick traction, yeah, that people are. So talk to me about that. You're starting to streamline it so that it's not like, oh, you have to spend two years studying in order to be literate. You're trying to make it as as efficient and effective as possible. Absolutely. Absolutely right. So, see, the the uh, I'm not a pedagogical expert here, but what I know for sure is the power of the program and the scientific research that we poured in. And we started it, our first chairperson, Dr. F.C. Coley, he envisaged that, hey, we are moving ahead with technology while India is leading information technology organized uh, country. And TCS mm-hmm. certainly is a, a pioneering one. How do we leverage this to solve this problem of addressing non-literate people? And that's where a researcher's team from Tata Consultancy Services sat together, studied the pedagogical perspectives and aspects and how would an adult learn. And some of the aspects like, you know, the person would have a knowledge of the language, right? And uh, then we also partnered with National Literacy Mission Authority of India in in understanding what their content is. And then leveraging technology, our research and content, we came up with this solution now known as Literacy as a Service. And it's available in nine Indian languages and uh, even uh, three foreign languages wherein we are working actively in Burkina Faso as well. But in India, Hindi is a bell which is spoken, language, Hindi language is spoken in many states, eight to 10 states. And uh, that's the kind of, you know, primary chunk, uh, our focus where how do we enable uh, various organizations, uh, corporates, individuals, and now governments. You would be happy to know that yesterday only uh, with one of the major state, Madhya Pradesh in India, which, which host about 14, more than a little more than 14 million non-literates. We are partnering with them and uh, in a very consultative uh, manner, leveraging the technology and the know-how that we have, how do we address this problem at scale so that the individuals who are going to teach, right? So I am not a teacher by qualification as no, well, right? Yeah, yeah. But my passion might teach me something, but if I want, you or someone else to leverage this content, 
the content should be structured in a manner that it takes care of 80 to 90% of the key deliverables. Then my role is just a catalyst as a kind of... I understand, yeah, so to engage. So your role is to engage them. To inspire, engage, to facilitate, to to assist where there is a struggle. And, 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 And it also doesn't start from, you know, starting from the scratch, which is alphabetics, right? Like the way how English is taught, it's it doesn't start in good schools with A, B, C, D, right? It starts with phonics. The kids would relate with the sound, would relate with mm. the letter, and then, you know, different words would be formed. The similar, thankfully, Indian languages are very strong at phonics. There are rare exceptions, unlike English, right? Yeah. And that really helps in unlocking the language within a day, Uh like your name is Deborah Blasky Marx, right? Yes, correct. And my name is Kishan. Within a day, for Hindi, the first chapter comprises of three words and one phonetical sound, m, ka, n. Two letters from my name, k and n, are addressed. And in your name, k and m, Blasky's k and Marx's yeah. m, are addressed, yeah. right? With common mm-hmm. sense. If this person is able to relate, and that's what how the pedagogical in our oh, that's interesting. Is. So there's a strong she audible. Would be able to, absolutely, mm-hmm. she would. Yeah, there is an audio and visual, and then we are also leveraging the puppet theater model. That how you know uh, on screen different letters are coming. They vo- they are voiced out, and the formation of these different letters make new words. Right. So the focus is just on three letters and one phonetical sound. And then the in emphasis on identifying and relating with that. So they would be able to relate that, hey, Mark's ma I know, right? Kishan's yeah. ka I know. And with common sense would be able to know if it is written in Hindi, they would see, ah, ka, it starts with ka, it must be Kishan, even though they might not know what is, you know, sure or what is Deborah. So that well, that's common sense. Yeah. If there's an element you, of, it gives them the confidence to, exactly. to access. Yeah, yeah, the that makes first, sense. First half an hour itself would give them a sense that, hey, this is not that difficult. Because another challenge for these people, particularly those uh, who, who are in, in day-to-day work and those either dropped out for unforeseen reasons who started the schooling, grade one, two, and couldn't complete, they have a notion or they have seen people who are going to school and studying through a typical chalk and board methodology, right? Where mm. a teacher is standing uh, with an authority. Yeah, authority yeah, yeah. it's daunting. There is a sense of fear. Yeah, they, yeah. I am not young now. I might not be able to grasp what is being conveyed, communicated or taught. So there is mm. that inherent fear. And with that, that also holds them to start something new to learn, right? So mm. that is another uh, important That's aspect. important factor. Well, at the World Literacy Foundation, we believe in literacy as the foundation of lifelong learning and education. People who cannot read or write experience difficulties with simple everyday tasks, such as reading the label of a medicine bottle, filling in a job application, or understanding a traffic sign. When we help someone to acquire literacy skills, We're empowering them to access to better opportunities in life to break the poverty cycle. It's a global organization in Africa, Latin America, the United States, United Kingdom, and in Australia. The World Literacy Foundation is on a mission to ensure that every child, regardless of geographic location, has the opportunity to acquire literacy skills and books to reach their full potential. 
We're striving to eradicate illiteracy by 2040. Reading and writing should just be a basic right, not a privilege. So please, if you're interested, head to our website at the World Literacy Foundation to see what is happening globally, this extraordinary organisation, when we realise that there are 750 million people who cannot read and write. So see if you can contribute and make a difference. 